Then in my flesh I have three gods, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold, but not another. My heart faints within me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 20th chapter. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless, and the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists, Baptists, these are labels that are less and less relevant in today's world. Fewer and fewer people know anything about these labels, about these groups, and many more people know just maybe something vaguely about them. And to make matters worse, each group has serious disagreements about what it stands for, further confusing anyone who's trying to figure out who we are. Anytime I explain to someone what a Lutheran is, I have to add a caveat that tomorrow you may meet someone who tells you that they're Lutheran, and you may start to tell them about how you just learned about Lutherans, only to be told you are in serious error. <laughs> Two miles away from my church is St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Byram, where they will tell you that I am misleading my people, leading people into error. So what is a Lutheran? Every time I explain it, I have to say, but... Someone else may tell you the opposite. So those labels which we use to tell people who we are are increasingly irrelevant. And as Lutherans and Calvinists, we have the added complication of those labels not originally being of our choosing. Names that were imposed on us. While we may have eventually adopted these labels with affection and even sentimentality, they were originally meant to identify us as heretics. So my fellow heretics, 
Good morning. It's good to be here again. It's always good to hear your choir, how beautifully they sing, and to worship with you, and to break bread with you. It is such a blessing to have local congregations, local colleagues, cooperating in learning and in service to our neighbors in need. We are so grateful that we've been able to use your hall this year for our labyrinth and to work on making those bags that we make together on Thursdays for food to grow on and our food packing events. It was so good to have us jointly lead together Bible study at Congregation KTI this past summer and to work on our coat drive underway now. Labels like Lutheran and Presbyterian are, after all, only labels. Your display outside here on this wall, announcing that God's doors are open to all, your welcome to people of various abilities, your cooperation with Jewish and Muslim and Christian neighbors, your commitment to feeding the hungry and welcoming the stranger, they are your real marks of identity. They are how you live out your faith. My congregation, most every pastor and congregation I know, is experiencing a major shift in how we fit into our society, the world around us. And it can be so disorienting to see our institutions and so many other community organizations getting lost in the rapid changes going on in our society. I think it is a time when we have to remember and think back on all the different contexts that Christians have lived in over our history and how different the church experiences in different parts of our world today. To be a Christian in Westchester is not the same as being a Christian in Iraq or Indonesia or China or France. The experience of the church during its first few hundred years was so radically different from what most of us would have known, especially in the mid-20th century, say. I think it's important for us to realize that the early church was persecuted, while much of the rest of the church's history has been the opposite, with a church that was a dominant power in Western society. We went from groups of people hiding and facing a dilemma about admitting our faith to then becoming a church of cathedrals and basilicas and prelates draped in furs and ermine, bejeweled and enthroned. I think it's instructive that a country like France, which is so secular and has been so secular for hundreds of years, is also spending enormous sums of money reconstructing Notre Dame. Christianity can kind of be emptied of its true meaning and purpose. It can lose kind of the sense of centrality in people's lives that it's supposed to have. Christianity can be hallowed out, a facade for aesthetic or sentimental purposes, and even sometimes cynical purposes. The church can become to people a historical artifact, a curiosity. And America is a place, I think, 
that often has a religion of prosperity and piety, which uses the trappings of Christianity. But Christianity is not a religion of prosperity or posturing. One of my favorite authors, Rachel Held Evans, died at a young age this year. She authored many books and articles and was a featured speaker at many church events. Her last book was called Inspired, Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again. In it, she writes, it is easy for modern-day readers to forget the scripture as we know it emerged from communities of religious minorities living under the heels of powerful nation-states. Christianity, for some, is sentimental, little more than warding off evil and bad luck. How little do we resemble the first Christians, the first churches? Christians by choice, in a time when to do so was to invite persecution. For so many Christians today, the church is about middle-class values of family, keeping up appearances, and self-help fads. The Bible, in its multiplicity of voices, can be used to support many things, including slavery, misogyny, war, monarchy. The Bible can be used to support oppression and violence. But when the Bible doesn't support those things, sometimes it is altered as when the King of England commissioned a new translation to remove all the instances of the word tyrant. But when the Bible is read faithfully and fully, there is a way in which it serves to bend the arc of history towards justice, to borrow a phrase from Dr. King. More recently, William Barber, Reverend William Barber, has commented on those who cherry-pick Bible verses to promote their own reactionary policies and to support the status quo. He said he doesn't understand those who say so much about what the Bible says so little and say so little about what the Bible says so much. I'm here today. Reverend Kathy will be speaking at Congregation KTI. Rabbi Goldberg will be speaking at St. Paul's on the subject of gratitude. And what can I say about gratitude from today's readings? Mary Alice was asking me to give the context of Job. And you can kind of sum up Job in the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The book of Job is kind of a book about meaningless punishment and destruction. What can I say about being thankful for faith and family from verses where Jesus says, we are neither married nor given in marriage? While Jesus doesn't give us much to say about the importance of family, it's vital to note the understanding of family in the time in which he spoke, a time when children were not nurtured the way they are today, and households were patriarchal units in a system of rigid roles with little freedom. While it seems, reading through Jesus and Paul, that they may even be speaking against marriage more than speaking for it, 
Jesus is referring to a time when women were given in marriage, the phrase he uses. Maybe some of you attended weddings where someone said, who gives this woman? And the bride was given away. It's important when we read about marriage in the Bible to realize that was the context of marriage for them, and it is hopefully much different today. I am so thankful that we live in a community where different houses of worship are not all eyeing each other with suspicion and hurling threats of condemnation against each other. I am so thankful to live in a community where different faiths seek fellowship and journey together to better understand ourselves and each other and the world we live in and to somehow seek to serve God. I am so grateful for this congregation and its witness to the world and embrace and partnership with its community to create a better world. For too many people, religion is about a system of privilege and a piety that worships prosperity. We know that our faith is about creating community that prioritizes people in need. That means that we will be excluded by those who are working to support systems of privilege. That means we may often risk our own prosperity and prominence. We seek a society that serves the most vulnerable and restores those who have been pushed to the margins. As Thanksgiving approaches, it should not be about asking if I am better off, if I've had a good year, or if my family is taken care of. Thanksgiving, for people who read the scriptures that we read, is about feeding the hungry and giving a drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, remembering those in prison as if we are in prison. Gratitude is a discipline of looking upon the world as a gift from God that is to be shared and passed on and celebrated in generosity and praise. 